we are in week nine of our series called Our Hearts Burn Within. A heart that burns within is a heart that has been touched by the eternal flame of truth. And this truth, this ancient flame, it prepares us for burial. This truth prepares us to be buried into the soil of decay and death, but then at the same time it prepares us to rise up out of it and to enter into new life the way it has always been meant to be for us. Think of yourself like a seed. You must be buried in decay, in death, to rise up out to see the beauty, the majesty, the glory, the sun to shine upon your face. And then, well, then you have to be, but before, well, before any of that happens, you have to be burned by a truth. So plants, plants have proved to be endlessly adaptable in their quest to send their seeds out to be buried in soil. Dandelion spores can travel miles and miles on simply the puff of a wind. Coconut seeds are able to travel thousands of miles across voyages on the sea to then find the soil they're meant for. And then there are these seeds that are designed to endure a fire so intense that everything else, it levels to the ground, but the seed remains. In fact, this type of seed, this fire-germinated seed, it must be burned in order to come alive. It has to be set on fire to be awakened because the, the kernel of this seed is so hard that it requires the red hot flame to open it up so that water can sneak its way in and then life can come forth. In fact, this recent campaign in forests to rid the forest of forest fires has actually put a lot of these seeds in jeopardy. And so there are these rangers that now will go about and set these forests on fire to protect these fire-germinated seeds. Today, my goal is to burn you with a beautiful truth and to bury you in the right soil so that you might rise up into new life, the life that you always have been made for. And I want to tell you something about our world today. It has lost its sense of wonder. We are cramped in. We are confined. There's a whole world that we are made for, but we have limited ourselves to understanding it. Everything now must be explained away. And if it can't be explained, it's dismissed. And so what has happened is now we are forced to live in a world that we are larger than. Today, I want to resurrect you out of that tiny world into the world that fits you. We're going to be in Acts 3, and we're going to read verses 17 through 26. Now, the context here is that there is a crippled man who is now walking and dancing, and it's gathered a crowd. So let me read to you what Peter 
says as this crowd gathers. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From your brothers, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those destroyed and those who have come after him all proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. All right, first point is the miracle. The miracle is not in our verses that we read, but this miracle is connected to these verses and the verses beyond. So here's the context. Peter is speaking to probably about 15,000 people who have gathered around him. It says later we're going to see 5,000 men came to believe. Now, this is men who came to believe. That means there are women and children who are there who likely believed. That means probably 15,000 came to believe, and some probably didn't believe. So we're probably looking at well over 15,000 people who have gathered. There's this crowd that is stirring, and they're desperate to hear something, news about what has healed this crippled man, why this man that has been, that has been crippled since his birth is now dancing around outside of the gate that is called the beautiful gate. Now here's what I want you to see. What gathered this crowd is the same thing that has drawn this crippled man to the beautiful gate. Something inside this crowd drew them, something internal. Now to the beautiful gate. Now the beautiful gate was the largest of all the gates that gave entry into the presence of God into the temple. There's 10 of them and this is the largest most beautiful one. It is it is made of Corinthian bronze and it is so large it likely takes 20 men to open and close this gate. It's a thing of beauty. And looking upon it, when you look upon it, it would be as if you're looking upon some portal, some place that's going to lead to a world that is beyond this world. And so this cripple, he goes to this gate daily. Not to meet God, but to rely on God's people for their generosity. Faith and generosity is always closely connected. But in this story... The cripple does not leave with an earthly treasure, but an eternal treasure and a power that has come from the person that people of faith have faith in. He went there hoping for scraps of someone else's treasure. And he leaves, or rather dances, through the gate, possessing an eternal treasure. 
this crowd is gathering because they are just like this beggar. They're begging for something to hope in. They're begging that this world is not all that there is, and they're just looking for some type of hope to hold on to, that there is more than what meets the eye. These souls are begging for hope. In this miracle, I want to tell you about miracles. Miracles do not violate the laws of nature. Miracles are simply what happens when the gates of heaven open up in the, in the power, the strength, the wonder of heaven enters into our world. We can't measure miracles because we don't have the tools to measure something so majestic, so wonderful. These people are gathering because their souls are in need of something, anything to remind them that this world is not all that there is. They seek a distant country that they can grab and hold onto. They're looking for something that will silence the laughter of death and destruction and loss and brokenheartedness. That is what they're after. That's why they're gathering. They're seeds with hard shells looking for a white hot truth that will crack them open so the waters of heaven could wash over them and bring them into this world that their soul is so desperately longing for. These people that are gathering outside this gate, they're longing. They're unleashing their desires. They're letting loose everything. They're, They're not suppressing anymore. But they're being drawn by a forgotten memory of Eden. And you know, we we don't we don't long like that much because we don't want to seem foolish. We don't want to let our hopes loose because we're scared we'll be let down. But these people coming to the gate, they've been blown by the wind of hope. And they're eager to hear something that will crack open their hard hearts. We all have desires, and desires are not a bad thing. Desires are a good thing. The problem that we have is what we go to to quench these desires that are stirring so rapidly within us. And what we end up doing is we go to lesser things than God and his kingdom. And what we're doing is we're trying to get life from things that are dying. We're scrambling around searching for something to satisfy these desires that are deep within us. And we keep settling for things that are less than God, less than his kingdom. And you cannot get life from things that are dying. You can only get life from something that has died and arisen. Because it's the only thing that's powerful enough to deal with death, to confront death, to confront loss. Some of you are young. And you look out at the world with possibility, with excitement. Your future is unknown and you're ready to jump out on the road and go out on an adventure. And you want all of these desires in you to be quenched and out there in freedom, you're going to find it. And if you heard the story of this crippled man now dancing 
in the halls of God's home, you'd go there. You'd go to witness the spectacle. But you'd hold out. You'd wait. Because maybe there is something better than God. And so you would seek your desires to be met, your deepest, most desperate desires to be met through, through sex, through drugs, through love, through ambition, through fame, through travel, through whatever it might be. You're just desperate. And you don't want to go all in with God because what if? What if there's something way out there in the distance? I got to go look. But deep down you know God is the only one who will quench your desires. So skip the unrest. Some of you are old. And your heart has gone crippled. You, you were wild and alive back in the day. You've done it all. You've tried sex and drugs and love and success and fame and travel and escape. And you've tried it all. And none of it has given you the joy and the rest and the peace that you've been desperately seeking. And the hard shell of your heart has been hardened beyond despair and you're bitter because you have sought after the sweet nectar of heaven and you feel like it's impossible to reach and so you've shut off your wonder to it you've shut off your imagination to it you've shut off the thing that will compel you to go out and find God you hear of a miracle like this you'd never go show up You'd write it off immediately. This would be a hoax. This is some trickery. And you won't fall for it because you're not so naive. You know what the world is like. Nothing to hope in here. And if you are like that, I would say learn from this cripple. The cripple has seen something that your soul has long ago forgotten how to see. And learn to hope again. And And here's how you do it. You don't just hope. This crippled man, he's ripe and he's ready because he's helpless. He's in need. And when you combine longings with hopelessness, well, not with hopelessness, longings with hope, when you combine need with, like, wonder, that's when you meet God. And when you find him, you realize you didn't actually find him. He's the one that found you. He sought you out on the road. And at the end of every single thing that you were putting your hope in, he's there at the end of the road that you traveled saying, it's me, pick me, stop passing me by. He's holding out his hand with love saying, I'm yours and you are mine. If you'll just take it, you're going to have all of your desires fulfilled in me. He's saying, stop settling for pennies when gold is before you. And all of us, young and old, we should take the advice of the 27 Club. Have you heard of the 27 Club? I've talked about it a few times. It's this group of famous people who at the age of 27 have died. And what happened is these this famous, not one group, I mean, track it. Look it up. So what, here's what's happened. These are a group of people who have been talented enough in their life 
to be able to get hold of the thing that they're chasing. Like their talent led them to fame and they got it. And when they held fame in their hands, it, all that they hoped for disappeared like dust and it drove them into despair. And they said, there is nothing here. Life is useless, it's meaningless. So they took their own life. Or a group of them, in their desperation, died from reckless living, looking for the thrill of heaven here when it's not here. And in their recklessness, they died. Go to the beautiful gate and find Christ. Take all of your dreams, all of your wants, all of your desires, and just like bow at the gate, looking for him. As the psalm says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you all the desires of your heart. And when you come to the beautiful gate, what will you find? Point two, the seed, the greater seed, the seed from which all other seeds find their life from, the seed that has come from a far off country, the seed that grew up into the eternal tree of life here among us. Psalm 20, or in verse 25 says, God said to Abraham, and in your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So blessed here, it means, it means all of the stuff of heaven, like all the grace that is needed to receive the stuff of heaven, it's poured down upon you. Not because you earned it, but because of God's simple good pleasure, he is delighted to lay that blessing upon you. And what this means is you're receiving life. It's like you're coming up out of the decay of death and you're receiving this life abundant in him. And this word, offspring, says through your offspring, there will come blessing. The word offspring literally translates as seed. And our verses say that God will raise him up. Now, okay, hold on. Come here, come here, come here. Raise him up does not mean resurrection here. It likely doesn't mean resurrection. What it probably means is this is the seed who's coming from a far off land. This is the dandelion seed who has been blown from eternity into our world. And he's come among us. Like he's leapt off of the grounds of the pages of scriptures. He's leapt out of scripture and he's been put on face. And he's right here in front of us. Everything we've hoped for. Everything we've dreamed for. Everything that the Bible's like, we have to find him. He's here. And when he arrives on this desolate land of ours, he is not the seed king that says, serve me. He's the seed king that says, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to give my life for you. That is why I have come. Verse 26 says he is the servant, and that is the kind of God we have. And also we saw last week he's the author of life. And so if, if, if you draw something, you will always remain greater than the thing that you draw. You're the creator of it. You're the author of it. And what this means by that is he isn't just something you go to to get life from. He is life itself. He is the seed that has come to our world to bring about a new Eden. 
And he's the seed that has come to be the suffering servant who would be burned by the hands of murderers. And he would die there on the cross. And he would rise up to take the hand of his murderers and lead them to the celestial shores of paradise. You understand that our sin is what murdered Christ. Like He went there carrying our sin, but he gladly did it. My sin, your sin, all of it. It's crucified Christ to the cross, nailed into the tree. To give you life. The suffering servant. And that's Christianity. Will you gather around this crowd? Like this crowd of 5,000. These these people who long, and, and they're like unleashing their like wants and desires and saying something. There's something that's got to be here for us. This can't be all that there is. And so if you will go to him, like this crowd, the question next becomes, what will you make of him? The decision. Peter, Peter, Peter says every one of us must turn from our wickedness. So Peter has just called us wicked, all of us, and it's a bit rude of Peter. So what does he mean by it? Well, we keep looking at what he said, and we go back and look at some other things he said, and he says, it was our ignorance, and in our ignorance, we murdered Jesus and set a murderer named Barabbas free. So that was, that was the verses before ours. So basically what happened is, um, like the king of the land is like, look, I really don't want to kill Jesus, so I'm going to offer you two things. Like You can either let this murderer come in your midst, Barabbas, and set him free, or Jesus. He's thinking, of course they're going to pick to set Jesus free. And they say, no, we want the blood of Jesus. Send him to the cross. Crucify him. Let us be rid of him. And this means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that what you make of Christ will either invite life or death into your life. And it doesn't matter if you're making the decision out of ignorance, Peter's saying. It's still a life or death decision. To reject him, even out of ignorance, is to let the murderer loose among you. It's to invite death into you. It's like, it's like you're joining the 27 club. To reject him is to choose death and to choose the murder of self. Even if you're doing it out of ignorance, Peter's saying. Now, we're all doing this, so how are we doing it? Like, practically speaking, what are you doing? What am I doing to invite murder among us? Well, first we're settling for cold truth. Truth that can't crack us open. So we're a closed shell, unable to take water in. First, what we're doing Second, that cold truth is leading us and like telling us, jump into this rocky soil of death. Jump into the land of desolation. So we're like these seeds that are being 
that are flying around looking for some soil that finally will satisfy us, and we keep settling for the bad soil of death. And so what, what that, here's what that means. We're building our soil in a lover. We're building our soil. We're making our soil our success. We're building our life in the soil of sex. We're building our life in the soil of if I can just have a family. We're building our life in the soil of just if this could happen, just if that can happen. And if you don't know what it is that you keep trying to build your life upon that isn't Christ, then it has you. Like its tendrils are in you and they will not let you go. You need something to break those. And, and, well, here's something else that I think we do. We try to build our life on freedom. We say something like, I don't need a truth, and I don't need a soil to land in. I will just fly in the wind, and all that's going to lead is to death in the wind. We have to find the only flame, Christ, that is hot enough to crack open our hard hearts so we might drink of the watery nectar of heaven and then come alive. And then, you got to be buried in the soil of the kingdom of God. That is where the living waters are. Here's what I'm really trying to tell you. Stop building your life on good and great things. Stop building your life on good and great things and build your life on the only thing that will give you life. There are so many wonderful, good, and beautiful things in your life. And the temptation, the greatest temptation, is you're going to build your life in that soil. Like the sin that is behind every sin is that there is something you're building your life in, some type of soil that you're saying, gosh, if I just deposit my life in this, if I could just have this, then everything's going to be okay. Sex is the water and soil that can't give you eternal life. But it can be fertilizer if you have found the true source of life. Success is the water and soil that can't give you eternal life, but it can be fertilizer in the right soil. Having a family, marriage, kids, it won't give you what you seek. It's the wrong water, but it can be fertilizer in the right soil. Christ is the only truth that cracks you open. His spirit is the living waters that make you come alive. And this soil is the soil of his kingdom. That if you can be planted in it, receive the water of the spirit, because the truth of Christ has cracked you open, you will discover that you are in a whole other world that's all around us right now, and you didn't know it was there, but now you're coming alive to it. And then once you do that, like all the good and great things get put in their proper place. Because I want to tell you what happens. If you build your life on good and great things, you're going to things to give you life that can't give you life. 
They have nothing. Like they can't fill you with something that's eternal because they're temporary. In fact, what I would argue is those things need life from you. So if you are trying to give life to your family, for example, or you're finding life from your family, but you're not in the soil of the kingdom of God and not receiving the water of life from the spirit, then you're going to try to give life to your family and your family's going to suck the life out of you. And you're going to be like, why is this happening? Like, why don't they love me? Why can't I feel alive? around them. Gosh, what am I going to do? I'm just leaving. And it was all your fault. It wasn't their fault because you tried to find life in them, the place where you were never meant to find life from. But if you find all of that life in Christ, then you have life to give them. And then they'll, if they're doing the same thing, have life to give back to you. And then it's like a community that's fully alive. A home that's fully alive. And then Peter says, if you don't pick Christ, you pick destruction and death. And that's why he calls it wicked. Because for God, anything that brings death is wicked. Our sin is wicked because it's bringing about death in our life and it's bringing about death in the world around us. And then, even worse... So what do we do? Okay, gosh, this guilt and the shame is washing over me now. What do I do? And even worse, an even more wicked thing is to then reject the grace that is offered to you in Christ after you've sinned. And you know that you do it because here's how it goes. Gosh, I've just, if you're a Christian, this is how it goes. Gosh, I've just messed up. I got all this guilt. I could never approach God right now. Let me let some of the guilt wear off a bit. Like, let me let some time go by and all the guilt will get off of me. All the shame, like, I'll be rid of it and then I could approach God, have my, my act together. Oh, that is deadly. You're in most need of him in the middle of your guilt and shame. And if you avoid him from guilt and shame, you don't understand Christianity because Christianity is a whole bunch of rebels with guilt and shame all over them running into the arms of their Savior who's died and risen so that they may be washed clean from all that mess. You're going to sin a million times over over and over again. The greater wickedness is to reject the seed of grace that's offered to you. Because this is the kind of wickedness who looks into the eyes of your Savior who has bled for you. Your Savior who's been nailed to the cross for all of your sins. Your Savior who has absorbed all the wrath that is meant for you. It goes upon him. And he's buried into hell and into death and he rises up out of it. And he's done all that and you look at him and you say... I think I'll wait for something else to get rid of my guilt and shame. I think I'll wait for something else to delight my soul. That's why he's calling it wicked. Because you're choosing death. And if you don't run to him at some point, you do join this 27 club. Maybe not at 27, maybe it's 57, maybe it's 37, but it's at some point you join the club. At some point, your time runs out. And like, okay, I'm not, I I don't want to be overdramatic here. God is in control and he is sovereign. And I understand that there's a lot of doubts that plague you up into the point of coming to faith in Christ. 
And if you're a Christian, I understand that there's a lot of things and doubts right now that are keeping you from him. And your guilt and your shame are keeping you from him. And you keep picking other things instead of going running to him. But at the same time, there's some urgency here. Go to the beautiful gate and find him there. And jump into the soil of his kingdom and receive the living waters. And for you that are Christians, let me talk to you right now. Like, we keep playing around with the same sins that nailed Christ to the cross. But he happily did it for us. But he wants us to stop playing around with those sins. And the only way to stop playing with those sins is to find the one who has rid you of guilt and shame because if you don't think that he's done it, you won't go to him. And then you're going to be desperate to find something to delight your soul, but you're not going to find it because you're avoiding him from your guilt and shame. And then you're going to have no other choice but to go find the desires in you quench somewhere. So now you're going to continue even further into some reckless living. It's getting worse and worse and worse, all because you don't really believe he's going to deal with your guilt and shame. So just take the risk and go to him. Christianity is the art of picking Christ over and over again, daily. Christ is not a solution from the past, and then you try hard. He's everything. He's life. He's the tree of life. And it's not only that he is the very desire of your heart, but you approach him. It's like you don't know that he's the desire of your heart. You go to him as the delight of your soul, and then all of your desires are quenched. Because he is the only eternal dandelion seed who has traveled across the celestial shores and the seas from far off to come into our world. He's the only seed that has been crushed for our sin. Bruised for our healing. He's the seed that was broken open on the cross. And he bled. And his blood splattered upon the cross. And the cross that you carry, listen to this, the cross that you carry, your, your suffering that you walk through in this life, the pain that you walk through in this life, the seed has been cracked open. And that seed... The life inside of that seed is greatest known in the middle of your suffering and pain. And that means your suffering and pain, all it could do is make you stronger and give you more life if you'll just rely on the seed in the middle of it. And he's not the seed that was buried in Eden. He is the seed that came to be buried in the hell of death. But inside of death, he fought. And he rose up out of it as a beautiful oak of Eden that has been planted here among us, right here and right now. This will crack open your world. The world that you are confined in, the tomb that you are living in, the grave that you are buried in right now where you have lost your sense of wonder, you have lost your sense of awe, you don't think beauty is really such a thing anymore. Well, this 
will crack open the tomb that you are in and open you up into a wide world, the world that you are waiting for. He, if you go to him, you will find he is the burning seed of love. A love that is stronger than death. And if you meet him there inside of your own death, inside of you like giving up and saying, I'm done. Like I can't do this without you anymore and just go all in with him. That's like a dying to yourself. The seed will wrap hold of you. And then there in the soils of decay, you will rise up out of it with him because you've believed. Meet him at the beautiful gate. The gates will open. And you will find that there really is a whole world among us filled with wonder and awe and majesty and glory. Even now, not just later, but right now. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would grant us belief in you, in your son, that we would believe that the Holy Spirit is our living water who refreshes us, refreshes us with the life of heaven. Not just far off times, but right now. God, we have nothing without you. All we have is death and decay. All we have is things that eat us up. So come to us, open up our ears so we might hear and believe. We need you, we're desperate for you, we love you, and we want to have hope. So stir hope in us so we might walk out these doors fully alive with joy and peace and rest that can't be stolen from us. No matter what our circumstances, we love you, God. Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.